Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. We've been going through a series of messages entitled, uh, Teach Us to Pray, and that was the last, really starting in the beginning of the year all the way up until um, the beginning of February. We took the entire month of January and some to focus on prayer, and I'm so thankful Pastor Marcia's word last week on prayer as well was another challenge to us, just to be seeking and living in that place of prayer with the Lord. And uh, I think Michael's song today was just an exclamation point on that, that we want to learn what it means to really understand what we pray and to live out what we pray. And so just trusting that the Lord has been using those messages in your life, challenging you to continue to grow in him, to continue to forgive, to continue to flee from temptation, to continue to trust him for provision, to continue to seek his will and his ways above our very own. And as we trust our Heavenly Father, we know that he will bless and lead and guide us. I'm looking forward to next Sunday beginning a brand new series of messages, and the title of this series is Come and See. You don't want to miss it. Every week you want to come and see exactly what we're going to be exploring as we walk through the Gospels, uh, the first four books of the the, uh, New Testament, the stories about Jesus, and we're going to focus on stories where people bring other people to Jesus. How many of you know that there's power when you bring someone to Jesus? He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can change a life. I'm so thankful that I had a friend who didn't just tell me about Jesus. He brought me to Jesus. He wasn't satisfied knowing that he just shared that, hey, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one that can save you. He took it as his own personal calling to say, you know what? I care too much about you that I'm going to bring you to experience what Jesus has done in me. And I'll tell you what. The world will be changed if the church will rise up and say, you know, we're not just going to be people that tell people about Jesus. We're going to be people that bring people to Jesus. And so that's the whole idea of the series, Come and See. There are some different passages and stories where those are the very words that came off the lips of people whose lives were changed forever. Come and see. You can't miss it. So starting next week and leading us all the way up to Easter, it's going to be an exciting series. Invite a friend. um, Get excited for what God's going to do in your life and how he's going to challenge you to grow, to really be someone that brings people to Jesus as we move towards celebrating his resurrection on Easter Sunday. This week, today... We're not going to be preaching a a, a message that's within one of our series. In fact, it's a message that God put on my heart a while back. And I've been praying about the right time to share it with you. And today is that day. And I'm just excited for Michael being here for what this weekend represents because this message has a lot to do with all of that. The title of today's message is Missing Ingredients. Missing Ingredients. And today I want to talk to you about this. And part of the idea around this this message came to me from some experiences that I had growing up. I grew up in a home where my dad and my mom, they both worked in the restaurant industry, and so I grew up all around food, and I enjoyed that from a young age. My dad uh, started cooking when he was 14 years old, and his my grandfather was too sick to go to work one day, and my dad was washing dishes. He brought him in, and he wrote the recipes on my dad's arm and sent him right behind the line uh, at his restaurant to cook, and my dad said, ever since that day, 50-some years later, he's still doing that. My mom learned some from my dad, but my dad would say that my mom is the better cook of the two of them. Uh, She's picked up very well. And so growing up, I didn't always have a lot. My parents actually were divorced when I was young, and my parents, uh, my mom struggled as a single mom with me and my younger brother. And as we went through life, um, there were a lot of things that we weren't able to have. There were a lot of things that my friends would be able to buy or purchase or have for themselves that we weren't able to have. But there was always one thing that I knew when I came home that I could look forward to, 
a hot, fresh-cooked meal. And it was some of the best food on God's green earth that we would get. I mean, the stuff my mom would make was delicious, and, uh, and I loved it. And so every night, I mean, without fail, we would have a hot meal waiting for us at home. And there was always enough, not just for us, but even for my friends, neighborhoods, uh, friends, kids that would come home to a, a freezer meal that they'd have to put in. Now they didn't have to eat that. They can come to our house and eat with us. So I grew up around cooking. I grew up around food. And then I started working in restaurants whenever I was young. From the time I was 16 until I got, went to college, I was working in different restaurants. One time I ended up getting into the kitchen and I'm washing dishes and they got so busy that they pulled me into um, they pull me into the, the line. They say, we need you to start to prep some of the appetizers that we need to make. And one of the appetizers that was on the menu was fried zucchini. Has anyone ever had fried zucchini before? I'll make you all hungry by the end of this message, right? <laughs> so I had fried zucchini. It was on the menu. And, the cool, and the, they made it a cool way. as the way my dad had made it as well. He put it on a slicer. You slice it into really small pieces that are long. And then you batter it with egg and flour and uh, breadcrumb. And then you, when you fry it, 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 it kind of curls up and then you dip it in some marinara sauce and eat it. So uh, I had to make that. So I have to put it across the slicer. It's so busy. I'm reaching. They said, go get it. It's in the cooler. I don't see any zucchini in the cooler. So I go and I look at another cooler. I finally grab it. I pull it out. I slice it up. I batter it. I throw it in the fryer, and it comes out, and it is the worst-looking thing you'd ever see. And they said, um, why does it look that way? Did you, did, you know, did you batter it? I said, I have no idea. And they said, hold on. And they took it, and they took a bite of it. They said, this is a fried cucumber. <laughs> what do you... I said, I don't know. I said, it's great. It looked like, it looked like a zucchini. I don't know. So here's what I'll tell you, is that you may think you understand something. You may go through all the steps, but if you're missing the ingredients that you really need, you can call it whatever you want. It's not the real thing. Are you following me? I learned this again when I wanted to cook like my mom as I was growing up. And so as I was trying to learn some of her recipes, she had one recipe. It was chicken paprika. Mandy's listening. She's like, oh, we got to make that again as she's watching online right now, I'm sure. This was my favorite thing my mom would make growing up. The thing about it is I never knew what was in it. I couldn't understand it. I just knew at the end a ton of paprika was in it and made it all red. And so, um, so as I got older and I moved out, uh, every time I went home to Pittsburgh from school, I'm like, Mom, make me the chicken paprika with some rice. That's what I want. So now we're at, uh, at our home and I'm married, and I wanted to make chicken paprika. So I go and I figure out these are all the ingredients, and I cook it, and I taste it, and I say, no, it just doesn't taste on. Have you ever done that? You can just know by the taste it isn't, it isn't right. So I had to call my mom. I asked her, what's, you know, what's the recipe? What is the recipe? And as she shared with me the recipe, I was missing two or three key ingredients, so I knew why the taste was off, because the ingredients were missing. I tell you these things in these stories because as I consider the idea of this thing that we call love in the world today, I believe that love is something that has become corrupted and redefined in the world around us. I believe that I could go as far as to say that you have bought in to a concept of love that's missing some key ingredients. That the recipe for what love is and what the world says love is, that if you taste it, you may have become very conditioned to accept that as love. But if you would come to God's word today, if you come back to the recipe that God has given, what he has described is meant to taste like and what he has prescribed as giving the steps and what needs to go into that, you may see that what you've been thinking about love what you and I have been experiencing and even giving as love 
It's missing some ingredients that God says are essential to be the real thing. Are you following me today? And so today we're going to talk about missing ingredients when it comes to love and the love that God has ultimately intended to have towards us. If you have your Bible, you can open with me today. We're going to be in a few passages of Scripture. We're going to start out in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, would you come? And Holy Spirit, I need your help to communicate these truths. Lord, from your word, would you come and speak directly to our hearts? Lord, would you help to redefine? Would you help to bring us back? Would you help to recalibrate our hearts, Lord God? To know your love, to experience your love, and to never be satisfied with anything else. Holy Spirit, give us the ability to know when what we're experiencing and what we would call love in this world is not the real thing, when it is a counterfeit, when it is missing the ingredients that you have prescribed. Give us that sensitivity to know. Search our hearts today. We open our hearts to you and we ask you to come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, the first thing that you need to know today is God loves you. And I, and I feel like as a pastor, I need to say that more and more and more because I feel that with the way that the world is going and with so many people that are carrying such heavy burdens, some of you may be sitting here today and you don't really believe the words that I've just said, that God loves you. He loves you. Some of you would say, Pastor, he can't love me because he knows everything and he knows what other people don't know. And what other people don't know is there are things in my life that no one could love me for. Well, guess what? He knows all of it and I'll still tell you, he loves you. He loves you right where you are. He loves you not as you should be but as you are right now. He doesn't love who you're pretending to be. He loves you, who you are in this moment. Him loving you and him um, being comfortable or accepting the behaviors are two completely different things. He can love you even if you're sinning against him. He can love you even if you're running from him. He can love you even if you don't love him back because his love is unconditional and it's towards you today. Today, if you feel far from him, he loves you. God has loved us from the beginning. He loved us so much that he created us in his own image. He loved us so much that he created us with a purpose. He loved us so much that he put his name upon us. And therefore, when we are created in his image, when people saw us, they were supposed to see him. And so he loved us that much. The Bible says this, before you were even a thought in your parents' head, before anyone knew you, he knew you. Before you could count your fingers or your toes, he knew every hair on your head. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. He loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And today, whether you're walking in that or not, you need to know this today. God loves you. Something else you need to know today is this, that God is love, the Bible says. God is love. The fullest expression of love is seen when you see God. He is love. Not that God loves. He is love. And when we look in the scriptures, we can see the depths of God's love. God's love is the perfect picture of what love should be. The problem is this, is that we spend so much of our time in the world and so little of our time here that we have actually accepted the way the world defines love and not the way God defines love. Are you with me? And so because of that, we have a distorted view of what love is and what love isn't. There are people that are in abusive relationships, and do you know why they stay in them? 
because, well, he loves me. She loves me. They love me. There are people that have done terrible things, who have betrayed people, but they say, I love you. And their words are incompatible with their actions. And what happens over time is that when all that we see in the world are these distorted definitions, we start to accept that definition, not the definition that God has given for love. And so we need to understand some things about love. When we see God and we see what this world has painted, the picture that it has given us for what love is, that love is something that you compromise yourself for, love is something that you defile yourself for, love is something that you, that you need to earn, that you need to chase after, that you need to become who everyone else wants you to be so that you can receive it. See, this kind of love in this world is a very conditional love. The kind of love in this world is a very selfish love. It's a very fleeting love. It's a love that, that looks for sin and opportunities to satisfy our own selfish desires above others. That's not love, friends. And when we get to God's word, when we come back again, we can see the fullest picture of love. A love that is selfless. A love that is giving. A love that is kind. A love that shows up. And when we see Jesus, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, who lived a sinless life, who died a sinner's death, who rose again, we see the greatest picture of love. What did Jesus say? Greater love has none than this, that a man would lay down his life for those that he loves. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. When you see God, here's what you see, love. His great love towards us. And that's the love that he desires to have defining and shaping our lives. And that love is something that is meant to grow in us. And so today we're going to understand three things about that love. The first thing we're going to understand is how that love grows. How love grows. Second, we're going to understand what love shows. Now, see, I made it rhyme so that you'll follow me today. What love shows, how love grows and what love shows. And finally, where love goes. Come on, you like it, right? I'm going to write music one day. <clears throat> where love goes. How love grows, what love shows, where love goes. You with me? I'm trusting that you're, just, you're, you're here. I, I made it rhyme. I made it memorable. Hopefully you're taking notes. First thing is how love grows, how this kind of love grows. This love is not a love that is just within us. It's a love that is from God, is in God. We are corrupted because of this thing called sin that has invaded our lives, has broken us, has broken the world around us. And so this love needs to grow inside of us. And it grows in our lives and there's a way that that happens and that's why we're in John chapter 15 this morning. Because Jesus gives the very imagery of growth whenever he says to his disciples i'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser and in verse four he says this abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me so Jesus is calling everyone that follows him to this place of abiding in him. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to know, ultimately, the fruit that comes out of your life from you abiding in Jesus is this. It's love. It's God's love. 
It's more of him in you. And as we continue to explore, you'll see the same idea of fruit being used to describe what the work of the Holy Spirit does inside of you. And ultimately what the fruit of the Spirit is that is a bear, bears in your life and comes forth and grows out of you, it's this, love. God's perfect love. Jesus said that if you abide in me and I in you, then you're going to bear much fruit. And he said this, apart from me though, without me, without abiding in me, you can do nothing. So often we think we could do so much in our own strength. Here's what you need to know. When it comes to being able to love the way that God loves you, you can never do that in your own strength. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't live the way that I've called you to live. Apart from me, you can't love the way that I called you to love. Apart from me, you can't do the things that I called and created you to do. We are meant to be in a relationship, a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus where we abide in him. Now think about a branch that's connected to a vine. How reliant is that branch upon that vine? Completely. It becomes its source of nutrients, its source of life. Everything that feeds it comes from that vine. And Jesus said this, don't live outside of the vine. As tempting as it might be, you will find no life disconnected from me. Let me say it again, you will find no life disconnected from me, Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you had some kind of plant that you loved or something that you loved and you would just take off a branch, some of you say, well, don't some of those branches grow No, most of those branches, when you take them off, they're dead then at that point in time. They're cut off from their source of life. Jesus said, abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. That's the first thing that we need to realize if we're going to understand how that love grows. It cannot grow outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I say a relationship, I don't just mean saying a prayer to accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I'm talking about a real relationship. Do you know what a relationship calls for? Couples, what does a relationship call for? Time, effort, intentionality. Whenever you think about your relationship with God, what kind of time are you spending with him? Jesus didn't say just spend one day with me or one decision with me in a church service. He didn't say one hour a week. He said, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Daily, spend time with me. Abide in me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And as we want to walk in the way that God would call us to, the first thing we have to do is abide in Christ. The second, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, you can see how the fruit that is produced in our life is ultimately love. Because Paul's talking to a group of believers, and they're being tempted One way they could live is by trying to do everything in their own strength, by being perfect. They had the law that was given to them in the Old Testament, and they said if we could just read all the things that we need to do in the law, and we could just live that out perfectly, then we can achieve everything that we need. And so it's all about us doing enough work, being perfect in our own strength, and what Jesus came to do is said this, he he came to fulfill the law. Because we could never do it on our own. We could never be perfect. We will always mess up. We will always slip in some way. Instead, we're called to live a different kind of life. One that produces fruit. And it talks about the bad kind of things that are produced in someone's life in verses 19 through 21. And then the good things that are produced in someone's life starting in verse 22 and 23. 
Now here's what I know. I know that whenever we plant things in the ground and whenever we spend time watering them and allowing them to have the right amount of sunlight and nurturing them along and making sure the things that would would come and, and, and ultimately choke them out don't get where they need to be and we make sure the soil is right, then what comes out of there is normally what we're hoping to see, fruit. But I've learned a lesson because, and I've told you about this little plot of ground that I have in my backyard a few times because it's just been so memorable for me. I grew up never growing anything on my own. I grew up uh, for many years, didn't have a backyard. Uh, so we didn't have any kind of gardening. And so when Mandy and I got into our home, we started to garden and we wanted to try that out. And when I say we tried to garden uh, and we, when we got into our home, I mean five years after we got into our home, not the first year. Not the second year, not the third year, not the fourth year. Uh, Those years, we just looked at the garden and thought it was really cool that someone at one point in time had gardened there. And, And here's what I learned about that plot of ground. I had grass all around, and that grass would grow three or four inches. That little plot of land that had no grass on it, every time I looked at it, it was getting more and more overgrown. Crazy amounts of stuff was growing out of it. It was such fertile soil because of how many years it had been gardened. But everything that was growing out of it wasn't bearing fruit. It was all weeds. It was things that were not healthy, things that were not edible, things that I would never cut up and give to my family and serve to them. There were things that some of it would be poisonous for us to even eat. And it was all growing there fine. Here's what I realized. I never once watered it. I never once nurtured it. I never once made sure that it was uh, sunny enough for it. I never did anything to prep it. It just had a way of growing like crazy. Do you know what frustrates me now? Is that I've just over the last year tried to now garden. And I realized that if I leave that garden alone for two days, it, it falls apart. But when I went to the weeds, they grew without any trouble at all. They would just grow and they would be, I mean, if, if my job was to, to grow weeds, I was great at it. I was like A plus. And as I think about that and as I reflect on it, I, I believe that there are things that are growing in our hearts and in our lives. There are good things that are growing there and there are bad things that are growing there. And here's what I want you to know today. For there to be the right things growing inside of your life, it's going to take intentionality, it's going to take nurturing, it's going to take time, energy, focus. But if you're doing nothing, It doesn't mean nothing is growing. It normally just means bad things are growing. Bad things will grow in your life without any extra attention, without any extra work, without any extra trying. You can live a completely undisciplined life and it doesn't mean that there's nothing growing. It probably means that really bad things are growing because you're unchecked, undisciplined in what you're doing. In the same way that I'd go back there, and maybe you have areas of your yard, sections of your yard that you'd be embarrassed for anyone to see because of what's overgrown there. For us in our lives, we also have probably areas of our hearts and areas of our lives that we don't want anyone to see because of what's overgrown there. There are things that have grown, and and I watched as I left that little area of a garden alone for long enough. When it came time for all of those weeds to be addressed, for it all to be taken down when it was four or five feet high, I couldn't imagine the amount of roots that had taken place there and how hard some of them were to get out. It was like full full trees and, and things were forming there that were so hard to uproot. And even though I could take stuff from the top, the roots were still deep down and continued to bring more and more weeds back. It needed a whole turning over, a whole change for it to be made right again. The same thing happens inside of our heart. No matter how hard we try to manage it in our own strength, those weeds, those things that are wrong will keep growing back. 
But here's what God's word says in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And so the way that love grows inside of your life, it grows by us abiding in Christ and by us walking in the Spirit. Let me say that again. Our love grows by abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit. If we remain in Jesus and we walk in the Spirit, then the love that grows inside of our life is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. It's a love that grows and makes us more like him. It's a love that grows out of us because of what he's doing inside of us. And I want to tell you that without you being intentional about this, it will not happen. I've learned that if I don't spend time abiding in Christ, if I don't spend time daily with him, it impacts my life. It impacts the way that I live. It impacts what my day is like. I can tell you, and my wife can tell you the same thing, that mornings that we will wake up and we will spend time with the Lord, worshiping, spend time praying, and spend time reading scripture, when we do that, it has a direct impact on how the rest of the day goes. It doesn't mean we have a perfect day, but it means whatever comes at us that day, we still have peace in the midst of it. We still feel God with us as we walk through it, right? And we've learned this because you could say, when am I going to spend time with God? I'll spend time at the end of the day. I'll spend time at the beginning of the day. Here's what I've learned. When I'm spending all my time with God at the end of the day, what I'm normally doing is I'm apologizing to him a lot for all the things I did during the day because my mind wasn't sanctified because he wasn't changed, he wasn't working in me. And so I have learned this principle that early in the morning, early is, is the right time. But there's something else we learned is that early in the morning is also Lily's time. And Lily wakes up, and when Lily gets up, it's at 7, it's at 8. Whenever it is, it's like, get Lily up, feed her. And my poor wife, as I'm out, off to work, when does she get to spend that time? And so what we've learned is this new idea that it doesn't matter what time Lily gets up, Lily isn't coming out of bed until Mommy and Daddy have been with Jesus. And uh, especially Mommy, that she has spent time with the Lord. And so Mandy will do this now. She will sit, she will go on the couch, she'll spend time uh, right in a place where she can worship, where she can be with the Lord. And I can watch as someday she wakes up, she doesn't feel well. She's uh, five months pregnant, going on six months pregnant. She has a two-year-old daughter who all Lily wants to do is grab her by the fingers and walk her all around the house when mommy wants to be resting. And so she needs the Lord right now. She says that, I need the Lord just to work in my heart, work in my life. Not because Lily's a difficult child, but because she just realizes that. And so we're trying to build this new discipline into our lives because we want Lily to know that when she grows up. We want our children to see that, that we can't be with you until we've been with Jesus. And what if your coworkers learned that principle? What if your coworkers could see you after you've been with Jesus? What if your spouse could see you after? Would there be things that you wouldn't be saying and things you wouldn't be doing? We've learned the lesson. We've just learned it even just this year, how much of a difference that will make in someone's life that you spend the time with the Lord and it has a direct impact on everything that comes out. Do you know why? Because what we're intentionally pouring into will begin to grow in our lives. What we're being intentional about will begin to come out. If we're abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit, it has a direct impact on what's being produced inside of us. And so abide in Him. Spend time with Him early and daily. 
And then walk in the Spirit. Be sensitive that as these things that you walk through and face each day, make sure that you're continually praying in the Spirit, continually seeking the Lord through it. And what will grow out of your life is love, is the love that Christ is forming in you. The love that we can't even fully grasp will start to come out of your life as you spend intentional time with Him. So we see how it grows but we want to understand what it shows. Like what is shown? What is the byproduct? What do we see inside of our lives? There's the term that's given that talk is cheap, right? Early on as Mandy and I were dating, I said these words to her. I, I think I had to think of something to say to just get this girl's attention. Um, so I go back and I say, I don't think I really said that. But she remembers me saying it. And what I said to her was, a lot of people are going to say a lot of things to you. And I'm training to go in the ministry, so... Talking is going to be like my, my living that I'm going to make. So don't just listen to what I say. Watch what I do and make your determinations based upon that, not just my words. And I thought, man, as a young 18 or 19-year-old, that was, uh, I can't believe I said that. And it sounds like scary to say, don't just look at this, not just my words. Intentions are one thing, actions are another. Come on, right? And so with that, we talked about that and that stood out to her. And I'm I'm not saying it stood out to her and that I've done anything perfectly because she could say, yeah, you know, I've definitely learned that lesson. But whenever that happens, when it comes to love, it's very important for us to understand because love is given a definition by the world, what it is, and then what it looks like. And when you go to God's word, it says this is what it is and this is what it looks like. Don't buy into a counterfeit definition for what love is because God is love. And he is the perfect representation of love. And his word gives us exactly what it looks like. We can see those wrong things and what our flesh and our sinful desires looks like. When we look in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, it says this, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're evident. You know what it means that they're evident? It means they're all around us. It's very easy to see and understand them. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And Paul says, from which I forewarned you as I forewarned you in the past, people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A life that's continually producing this kind of messy uh, things, this kind of sin, this kind of, of wrong deeds won't inherit the kingdom of God. You're not living in relationship with Jesus if we continue down that road completely. You know, there's something that I've learned about this, that you never have to take a master's degree course or anything in elementary, middle school, high school. You don't ever have to take a course on jealousy. Did you know that? You don't have to take a seminar and get trained on how to have outbursts of anger, Right? Most of these things are not things that you need formal education or training to get. But you know what teaches it to us? Our sinful nature and the world around us. We don't need to do very much to train ourselves to do many of the things that are on that list. They come as temptations, as things that we could naturally do if we lived undisciplined, out-of-control kind of lives. It says they're evident and they're all around and they're always pulling at us. And this, if we would just live to be selfish and to satisfy ourselves, we start to get involved in these kinds of things. There might be parts of your heart in your life that no one knows about, and you're entertaining and allowing these things to grow. 
In fact, you're not just allowing them to grow, you're nurturing them by spending more time with them, by allowing them to have a nice place in your life and in your heart. And as that's happening, I want you to know something. The roots are going deeper and it's destroying your life. It's eating away at your future. And before long, whenever you want to take control of it, you'll realize it's taking control of you, right? So when we look at that, Paul says, don't run after those things. God's word calls us, don't engage in that. But there's something else that comes into the life of a believer, someone who belongs to Jesus. It says there's the fruit of the Spirit that comes into your life. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. I'll tell you today, church, that I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is really one thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And everything else that is on that list is how love is being lived out in your life. The fruit of the Spirit that comes by the Holy Spirit's work in your heart is love. And that love, then, is lived out in many different ways. Take a look at this. I've shown it a few years ago, but I want to remind you of it again. It's all the different ways that love is lived out in your life through joy. Joy is love celebrating through peace. Peace is love at rest. Patience is love untiring. Kindness is love enduring. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness is love on the battlefield. Gentleness is love under discipline. And self-control is love in training. You can see how the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God being bearing fruit in your life begins to take on all kinds of ways that it can be seen and shown to the world around you. It's through the joy that comes out of your life. It's through the peace that you have in the midst of difficulty. It's through the goodness that flows out of you because of the work of the Spirit in you and God's love being made a reality inside of you. And so all of these things begin to come out of your life. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit, love, is coming out of you. So it grows, and this is how you see it. Another place that we see that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd ask you to turn there at this time, and you'll see these words on the screen as well. And I love how Paul begins his, uh, his chapter here, this section of him writing to the Corinthians, because this is a very conflicted church. Normally, this is given to couples and, and, and marriages. This passage is read. If only they knew, all the people at the wedding, just how messed up of a situation was going on in Corinth and that it wasn't written for a married couple. It was actually written for a very dysfunctional church. Uh, And so as we listen, we hear Paul's talking to them because he's saying, you're not loving each other. You're missing it. You want so much of the Holy Spirit and all these things happening among you. But if you don't have the love that God is bringing into your life, none of it matters. So I said this is something that normally is read to couples and some of you are married couples today and God has put you on my heart. I've been praying because I feel that marriages are under attack. The enemy is undermining. He's winning the battle in so many homes by allowing so much to come in to undermine and to uproot what God has brought together. And so I want you to hear what's being said here and I want you to be reminded of these words. It may have been read at your very wedding. And I think God has something for you today. Here's what Paul says in God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy 
And I know all the mysteries and all knowledge. And I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. But I don't have love. I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. So let's stop right there. Those first three verses. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. If I am the greatest hero, if I'm the greatest man of faith, if I have everything together, if I have the biggest house, if I have the greatest career, if I have the most initials after my name, if I have the perfect American dream fulfilled, but I don't have love, I have nothing. Hear that today. Husbands, hear that as you've been chasing after all the things you've been chasing after and you think that you just need to achieve that next place of success and then you'll have everything. Then your family will be whole and complete. Here's what you need to know. If you get there but you don't have the love, what does it matter? Wives, hear me today. If you have everything together and you are the perfect picture of what a family should be and yet you don't have that love, what's the point? So often, we've compromised the things that, that are meant to show up and be the, the ultimate evidence of the love that God wants to grow in our lives. And we've traded them in for these other things that the world would want and measure as success. But look what God's word says again about what love is and how it shows up in our lives. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not self-seeking or selfish. It is not provoked. It does not take into account the wrong suffered. It doesn't keep a long list of wrongs against it. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This picture of love, this definition of love, what this is showing us is this. This is God's love. This is the agape love that is described in God's word. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that is a giving love. It's a love that is seen in its fullest expression through God's love for us. And here's what it says about that love. It never fails. You may have failed. God's love never fails. You may have fallen down. You may have turned away. You may have missed it on every one of these things. But here's what you need to know today. If God's love is in you and if your life is surrendered to that love, it will never fail. It could change even the hardest of hearts. That's what it means. In the end, that love is victorious. It doesn't fail. It will produce new things inside of you. It will grow new things through your life. That love never fails. And if you don't have that love, if you're not seeing that love, that love isn't being shown where you're at. You may have bought into a counterfeit definition, but here's what you need to know today. God's word is truth. And God's word promises us this, that where our hearts turn away from experiencing that love again. And that when we abide in him and when we walk in his spirit, we will experience the growth of that love in us and through us and it will begin to be seen in the way that we're living our lives. 
Maybe you're not seeing it in your home right now. Maybe you're not seeing it in your marriage. Maybe things are just frayed. No one else sees it on the surface yet, but it's falling apart and decaying. I want you to know something today. God has put this word before you because he wants to come in by the power of his love. He wants to bring healing where nothing else can work. He wants to bring restoration where nothing else can restore. Do you know why? Because this love never fails. And so if you'll surrender whatever it is that you're walking through to the power of this love, it never fails. Do you believe that this morning? That God's perfect love can change your heart, can change your life, can restore your marriage, can reconcile your relationships, can come in like a flood and overwhelm you and change you and transform the circumstances that you're walking through. But you have to be willing to surrender to that love. You have to be willing to surrender everything so that he can carry you and walk with you. And you need to understand where this love goes. Ultimately, this passage says that everything else will fade away. Everything else will cease, but you know what will remain? His love. It will remain forever and ever and ever, long after all the things that seem to matter in this world don't matter anymore it will endure. And that love, that love that is infinite, as infinite as God is, that love that knew us at the beginning of creation, that love went as far as the, the, uh, the grave, <laughs> went as far as Calvary's hill, went as deep as being buried under the earth. When Jesus came and God so loved the world that he sent his son, that love was willing to go to the depths to rescue you. That's where that love goes. That love goes from heaven to earth, from heaven to Calvary. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, when he bled, when he died a sinner's death, he was buried in someone else's tomb. It was because of God's love for us that he was willing to go to that great length. And when he rose from the dead, that means now we can experience that love in our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 gives a great picture of that love to husbands and to wives. And first, it says, wives, that you're called to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Then ultimately, your, your place is to make sure that you are loving your husbands in the way that you're honoring them. You're coming under them. You're walking with them. You're allowing them to be the one that God has placed as a spiritual head in the house. And husbands, you may think that sounds good for me. That sounds really nice. This is a picture of not submission, but mutual submission. Yes, wives, that's your calling. But husbands, your job is infinitely more difficult. Because it says this in verse 25. Husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? By dying for her. He gave up his very life for her to make her holy and clean, washed her by the cleansing of God's word. Husbands, you're meant to lay down your very lives for your wives. When you look at your marriage right now, is it the picture of God's love that he has intended or is it something else? Has so many of the things of this world come in? Has what God brought together be, is it being separated by sin? Is it being separated by the works of the flesh? Is it being separated by things that you know don't honor God? Today, do you feel hopeless because of the state of what's been going on and no one else may know about it? Today, do you believe in an unfailing love that God has that can restore it? Because his word promises that. 
And today I want you to know there's hope for every person. There's hope for every relationship. There's hope for every heart that can hear my voice today. Do you know why? Because this love that we're talking about is a love that never fails. And you don't have to go any further than Calvary's cross to see that nothing is impossible for God. So if you're walking through brokenness right now, if you feel like you're at the very end of your rope, if you feel like you don't have any hope left, all you need to do is come to the cross of Jesus to look upon his great love, to allow him to fill your heart again, to change you in his presence. And as we come to that place, there's healing and there's wholeness and there's restoration and there's reconciliation. Today, Jesus is the one who has the power to heal every broken heart. He is the one who has the power to restore what the enemy has taken away from you because you've bought into an idea of a love that is lesser than God's perfect love for you. And so today, would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me? As the worship team comes, I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to God's love today. And the first person that I want to speak to is the person that's never asked Jesus to come and be your Lord and your Savior. Today, you didn't know that God really loved you. You never really believed it. You thought it was just some kind words that someone said. But if you could hear the sound of my voice today, you need to know it's the real thing. God loved me so much that he forgave me of my sins and my shame and my past. And he gave me a hope and he gave me a future. But it required action from my part. It required me being willing to call upon him and call upon his name. And today with no one looking around, with a moment of real honesty between you and God who loves you and who created you, if you know you're not right with God and today's the day that you need to turn your heart to Jesus, and ask Him to come and forgive you of your sins. Whether you're doing this for the first time or you're recommitting your life to Him, don't let another moment pass by. If you're here within this room and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to ask Him to come and forgive me of my sins. Then I want you just to lift your hand right above your head, right where you're sitting. No one's looking around. It's a moment between you and the Lord. If that's you, just lift your hand up right where you're sitting so I can see it. Amen. I see a hand. Is there anyone else? I see hands in the balcony. Amen. Is there anyone else? Is that you? Amen. Amen. A few hands gone up. Amen. Praise God. We're going to just say a prayer right now, and I want you to say this from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again and I commit all my ways to you. Come and be my Lord. Come and be my Savior. I will follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Can we praise God together? Listen, if you rose your hand, I don't want you to be ashamed. We're celebrating because of what God's done in your life. And today, I don't want you leaving without talking to someone about that decision. We're going to have some of our altar workers here that can give you a special gift, but we want you to celebrate that decision. Church, can we stand together? We're going to close out with a song. And I want to just invite everyone just to stay for this time because God wants to minister to some hearts. I believe there are marriages that God wants to restore today. I believe there are hearts that God needs to minister to. And that happens by you being willing to take that step and allow him to come and move inside of your life.
And so if that's you and you know you just need the Lord in any area that I've shared about today to experience his perfect love, then I'd ask you to come out of your seats during this final song as we sing and as Michael and the band lead us. Come to this altar. Allow God to meet you here. Allow our altar workers to come around you and begin to pray for you. Don't leave here the same as you came in. God wants to meet with you. So we're going to sing this song together and then you'll be free to go.